to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here today and just even for the joy of hearing our kids laugh and play and, and enjoy life. We thank you that you are so good and that you are here in our midst. I pray that you would elevate our thinking, elevate our hearts, elevate our, our spirits, God, today as we step into this conversation with you. We thank you in, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, this is the very last conversation in our Influencers series. And over the last few weeks, we have been taking a look at the lives of men and women who have lived these huge, heroic, faith-filled lives in this chapter, Hebrews 11, that theologically is known as the Hall of Faith. And these are huge individuals, not just in our faith, but even in just human history. People like Moses and, and Noah and Abraham and Joseph. That you don't have to be a person who follows Jesus to know who these characters are. And they've lived powerful lives of influence that move us even here today. And I know we've been using this word influencer. I know that word has a little bit of a bad rap, right? I know sometimes even when my kids, when I ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Jackson often replies, an influencer. And I just roll my eyes, Right? <laughs> Because no one really wants to be known as an influencer, right? As someone who's famous just for being famous. But the fact of the matter is, is we live in a generation that invented the influencer. These are individuals who inform us what to buy and what to wear and what to say and where to go and how to spend our days and how to spend our money. And they, they influence who we are at so many different levels. And I think for so many of us, we resist owning the influence that has been given to us for a number of reasons. For many of us, we, we, we don't want the weight that comes with owning our influence and recognizing that what we say and what we do and how we live actually impacts the world around us. We're unwilling to own fully the impact that we just naturally make on a regular basis, let alone the impact that we long to make in the world around us and the future that we long to create where we go. And so most of us resist the influence that we've naturally been given. But here's what I found, that if we refuse to own our influence and to steward it well, someone will gladly own it for you. Someone will gladly take your influence and use it for some purpose. And the world is filled with influencers that we look at and say we would rather not have them influence. That their impact on the world is dark and it is painful and it is negative. And we would rather have them not influence who we are and where we're going and what takes place in our culture. See, you can either use your influence to move this world with faith and hope and love, or you forfeit your right to complain about where our world is headed and where our communities are going and what's taking place in the world around us. And we 
looked at how living by faith actually plays a massive role in owning our influence and becoming people of influence everywhere we go. And we've started out in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1, and it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. See, every single one of us, we live in this unseen future that is in front of us. And it feels like it's in the future, but really we live in it right here and right now. And we create from what we see. Have you ever, have you ever had a week that just keeps throwing you curveballs? You know what I'm talking about? Like a week that you're just like, wow, what next? What comes at me next? This has been a week for me like that. This has been a week where I started out getting a curveball that dared to invite me to dream about a future that would look like a nightmare. And then the next minute, it throws me a curveball that says, look at all the incredible possibilities that are going to be stretching you into a future. And then another curveball that says, hey, you are going to expand bigger than what you can imagine. And another curveball that says, shrink back from all that you have ever stepped into. And have you ever found yourself on this faith journey that feels like a roller coaster? That one moment you're like, I believe, and I'm going to put all my faith and all my trust in a God that is bigger than myself. And the next minute, it's like, no, nah, never mind, just kidding. You know what I'm talking about? One minute you are filled with faith and you are bold and you are passionate. And the next minute you would rather shrink back into a hole. <laughs> that has been my week. And it's interesting when we find ourselves there because it feels like life is just going up and down and up and down and up and down. There's no sense of it. And here's the thing. The roller coaster usually is not from what is happening right in front of us. It's usually from the potential of what could be happening in front of us. Have you noticed that? In fact, this week, as I was in my roller coaster of emotions and thoughts and beliefs and, and imaginations about the future, I wrote down everything that was actually happening right now. And guess what was on that list? Nothing. <laughs> that nothing had actually changed. There was nothing that was actually in front of me that had shifted or moved or transformed. It was all my imagination being hijacked by a future that looked more like a nightmare than a dream. It was all potential of what could go wrong and what could happen and all the ways things could fall apart. And see, here's the thing. That is equally the assurance of things that we do not see. It works both ways with both faith and fear. That tomorrow has enough worries of its own, Jesus says, so don't worry about it. Now, I don't know about you, but when Jesus says that, I think to myself, well, what worries are coming tomorrow? <laughs> like, if tomorrow has enough worries, what are they? I should probably be preparing for them, right? <laughs> so then I start worrying about the problems that are going to come tomorrow that I need to worry about in the middle of all of it. But faith and fear are actually the same, different sides of the same coin. And actually, when you are living in both of them, they feel the same, contrary to popular belief. I know we look at great men and women who have lived by faith, including these greats in the scriptures like Moses and Noah and Joseph. And I think that we have these assumptions that people who live by faith, that people who risk, by people who actually move forward, hearing the voice of God and following his plans, live fearless lives. But that is furthest from the case. I've actually been around great men and women of faith. And I can tell you there are moments where I've been with them where they have been in fetal position going, God, I just can't see a way out of this, but I'm willing to go anyways. I'm sure when Moses was invited to speak truth to power in Egypt, that he was literally shaking in his boots, so much so that he was stuttering, he couldn't even speak straight. 
I'm sure when Rahab was hiding spies in her home, not knowing if she was going to survive the moment, that her heart was racing in that moment, wondering if she was going to make it out alive. I'm sure that Abraham, when God said, leave everything and go live in tents in a land that you have no idea where you are or what language to speak, that he was shaking from fear in those moments. Because fear and faith oftentimes feel the same. See, but faith actually believes for a future that is informed by love and hope and beauty. And fear calls us to imagine a future that is filled with despair and destruction and hopelessness. Fear and faith may feel the exact same way, but faith is fueled by a promise, and fear is fueled by a lie every single time. And it may feel the same way in our body, but they produce very different experiences. So we've come to the end of of this chapter, talking about what it looks like to live by faith and to to take the fear and use it as a motivator to move us into what's next. And and here's the the thing. I got to tell you, the way this chapter ends feels like they got a little lazy, right? Because all of these great people of faith, Moses, he gets a few sentences, and Joseph gets a few stories. Abraham gets a bunch in there. Rahab gets a sentence or two. And then they end the entire chapter with this. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised back to life again. There were those who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. Who says, sign me up for this life? Right? I know. We get here. Up until now, Hebrews 11 has been so inspiring. I mean, the last few weeks... We have had powerful conversations around what it looks like to live by faith, to expand what's possible, to elevate the human condition as we follow the voice of God and step boldly into unknown futures and start creating them together from this space of faith. We've looked at Enoch, who who just walked with God and suddenly knows no more. We looked at Moses, who who built a boat for a hundred years and saved humanity in the process of that. We looked at Abraham, who who left his home and and decided that he was going to follow God and and potentially even sacrificing his son. We looked at Joseph, who said, do not leave my bones in Egypt, but you make sure that you get out of here. And he, he set a vision for the people of Israel that would later be fulfilled. We looked at Moses, who spoke truth to power and took down one of the greatest superpowers powers in modern history, and Rahab, who, who saved literally the entire Israeli people from the city in the middle of this. And there are countless stories of God doing unbelievable things all throughout the scriptures. And not just in the scriptures, there are people in this room, including myself, who could tell you story after story after story of God's faithfulness and how he has come through every single time that we stepped out and risked in faith in hearing God's voice. But then there's this. Then there's this ending of men and women who were killed and persecuted and lost everything. And their lives were finalized living in caves and in deserts and wandering. 
legit stuff to be afraid of. And then there are those who it seems like, like God forgot in the story. And look, it would be very convenient to say, well, they lost their faith. They had some faith and then they lost it. And so therefore their life ended in a tragedy that they disconnected from the spirit of God. And so God left them to be punished by their sins and they gave up their influence and their evil deeds led them to this space. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that all of these men and women, it says, were living by faith when this tragic ending came to them. And, and have you ever done that when things go sideways in your own life? You start blaming God. Or, or, or I don't know about you. I don't necessarily blame God, but I start thinking, God, where have I gone wrong? What have I done to deserve this? And sometimes even from a very honest, sincere space of thinking, God, would you just reveal to me like where I've gone astray or what I've done wrong or is there something in my life or my mind or my heart that is disconnected from you and I will gladly transform it. There's this something inside of us when things go wonky that we feel like we need to grab hold to take control and to figure out how to fix this because obviously it means that either we've done something wrong or that God has forgotten us in some way, shape, or form. But most of these individuals were living incredible lives of faith at the end of their lives. In fact, if you look at the lives of most of the disciples of Jesus, most of them died horrible deaths, that they were crucified, some were boiled alive, some were torn apart. And I know this is not the inspirational message you were hoping for <laughs> on the eve of Halloween, but maybe it's the perfect moment. But it seems to not fit the narrative that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Look, because there are streams of Christianity that have lied to us and that have told us that if we live lives of faith, that if we give everything to Jesus and we risk all of it, then everything will work out exactly how we dreamed. That the ending is always perfect. And then when it doesn't, we somehow take it as a sign that God has left us or that he's forgotten about us or that we've done something wrong. And I want to tell you that, that this theology is actually more informed by Disney or the American dream than it is anything found in the scriptures. See, what I love is it says these men and women were commended for their faith. That the world was not worthy of their presence because of the faith that they lived, even in the face of horrific circumstances that they found themselves in. Now look, I have all kinds of theological reasons that I could give you as to why bad things happen to good people. In fact, that's probably one of the number one questions that I get from people who are searching through faith or trying to figure out this God thing and how all of those works. Most of them are because 99% of bad things that happen to good people aren't from God. They're actually from other people. And so we find ourselves blaming God for what other people have done and get confused in the middle of this. But here's what I found is that most of these answers fall short when you're in the middle of suffering. Have you ever had someone try to give you a nice theological reason why you're going through a hard time? to explain away the pain, to explain away the heartbreak. I know it's, it's, it's a nice thing to do, but oftentimes it's like, give me a break, right? <laughs> like when something tragic has happened or when you've lost something or you're struggling through something really profound and someone says something so trite like, just let go and let God or just trust him 
or it'll all work out. I know it means well, but it doesn't seem to hit in the moment the way that it should. And all of them fall short when we're talking about our suffering. No response from the Bible will make this make sense. But here's the thing. We are actually never promised that life would turn out exactly the way that we want it to if we live lives of faith. But what Jesus does promise us is that he says, I will take all of your suffering and I will take all of the heartbreak and I will take all of the pain and I will bring meaning to it and I will bring purpose to it and I will actually create beauty out of the despair and the hopelessness and the darkness and there will be some sense made of all of this that we would not be just left alone in our heartbreak or our despair or the hell that we find ourselves going through, that by faith, that there would be purpose and beauty and hope that would be brought in the midst of this pain. Now, here's the thing. I have read Hebrews 11 probably a thousand times. It's the chapter that I go to when I need a boost in my step. When I need to be reminded that my life is to be lived by faith, that I'm made for heroic things, when, when I can do brave things, I read through Hebrews 11 and, and it, it elevates my faith. That's what it's there for. But I gotta tell you, the last few verses hit differently this time. And there was something so profound about them as I read through them that moved me at my core when I read them. And it says this, Hebrews 11, 39 through 40, the very end of this chapter, it says, those were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, here's the thing. Abraham was promised descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. And guess what? He never saw it. That, that, that Joseph was promised that his people would be set free from Egypt and they would move forward and that they would find their own land and they never saw it. Moses led people for 40 years through the wilderness to this land that was overflowing with milk and honey that was going to be designed as the perfect place that God longed for them to be and he never actually experienced it. Rahab shifted her family's legacy and she never actually got to see that she ended up in the genealogy of Jesus himself. And Joseph, he told his people that we'd get out of Egypt and they never saw it and they were left hoping and believing and longing for this future where only one day would the world be made right again where only one day would their hopes come into reality, where one day their faith might actually come into reality and they never saw it and they kept moving in faith anyways. They kept moving in faith, believing that there would come a one day and they lived lives that pushed the needle forward, that kept pushing the narrative forward, that kept saying, we choose to risk and we choose to move and we choose to act even if we cannot see it right now. And it would be easy to think what a waste of energy. It would be easy to think what a waste of faith. It would be easy to think that this is pointless and, and hoping and believing for a future and that the story would end in tragedy and that living by faith in the end leads to disappointment. And it calls us to give up. It calls us to say, let it go. It's not worth the time or the energy that the fear always wins. But here is the beautiful message of the ending of Hebrews chapter 11, that their faith is made perfect in you and in I. 
that we are the recipients of the faith of countless individuals who have come before us, that we have received the gift of faith from all of those who have lived lives bigger than we could ever imagine that have gone before us that may have never seen the ending and they chose to keep living by faith anyways. These men and these women, their story was being woven into this tapestry that God was telling all through human history, telling a story of a God who longed to redeem humanity who longs to make things right again. And this story climaxes with God himself stepping into human history in the form of Jesus and living this perfect life and showing us what it means to be fully alive and to be fully human. And then he dies on a cross and comes back to life so that you and I could live fully alive here and now. And that because of that, we are gifted this faith. And while Enoch and Noah and Moses and Joseph died saying one day there will be hope, one day beauty will come, one day this life will be restored, one day all of humanity will be able to say, I have come back to life and I am experiencing the fullness of God here and now. The beautiful thing is that you and I are living in there one day right now. That you and I are living in the promise that was given to Moses and Abraham and Enoch and Sarah and Rahab that they never saw, but we get to live in it every single day. That our lives are living proof that God is faithful when individuals choose to keep pressing forward. We are living in the one day. And even if we don't see the ending, even if we are left pushing the needle forward, we know that we can live in a hope that the ending is always good. They never, they never saw the ending. They never saw the fulfillment of their promise where we would have unhindered access to God through Jesus. That we would have complete connection and relationship and communion with a God who has come for us, living in perfect harmony and creating beauty in the world everywhere we go along with him. That God, all through history, had planned something better for us so that as we live in faith, their faith would be made perfect because we have access to God through him, something the greats of faith could only have dreamed of. And every time that you and I choose to hear God's voice and to move, every single time that you and I choose faith over our own comfort, every time you and I choose to give back in the face of scarcity and not enough, every time that you and I choose to move the needle forward, even when everything around us seems like it's falling apart, every single time we choose to press forward when it's inconvenient, or we choose to step into moments that seem dark and hopeless and believe anyway, when we choose to use our influence for the movement of God, it is a reminder that we stand on the backs of men and women who have come before us who have said, we don't care if we will see the end, we will keep pressing forward because there is a day that is coming where we will see beauty restored again in the human story and we get to be the recipients of that. This is the hope that you and I have. See, the beautiful thing is that the hope of the world is not somewhere out there. Now, the hope of the world that we get to live in lives here within us. And because of that, we perfect the faith of every single person that has come before, of, uh, before us. 
See, the greats of faith lived faithful lives so that you and I could fully step into lives of faith, knowing that we have everything available to us. And so it seems so appropriate that Hebrews 12 would start out with this beautiful challenge that says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me just tell you something. We have no excuse as to why our lives aren't unexplainable. Why every single day we don't choose to risk to move. That as influencers, we get to connect to Jesus and our job is to keep throwing everything that hinders off. Worry comes in, we throw it off. Doubt comes in, we throw it off. Scarcity comes in, we throw it off. Inconvenience comes in, we throw it off. Despair, anxiety comes in, we throw it off. Accusations and lies come in, we throw them off. Self-pity comes in, we throw it off. We just keep throwing it off because we are living in there one day, right now, with everything that we could ever imagine available to us. And every time you and I choose to risk for the voice of God, when he speaks and we move and we act and we influence, rather than giving in to the temptation to shrink back, we declare to the world, that we have a God who has come for us. And why do we throw it all off? See, it actually tells us right here. We throw it all off because you have a race marked out for you. Every single one of us. That we have a purpose that only we were designed to make. That we have a mark that lives inside every single one of us that is unique only to you. It is why God decided there needed to be a you on this planet because there's a mark inside of you that needs to be made. There's a mark inside of you that needs to be imprinted on every single person around you. And that when we throw off everything that hinders, recognizing that we are living in the one day of faith, that we have everything that we need, we are freed up to go make that mark every single place that we go. Your life is meant to be radically lived on purpose so that the world around us knows that there is beauty available. Two weeks ago, we ran the 5K, or walked the 5K. And the, the race was marked out for us. And they told us, stay on the road. Just stay on the road, and you'll get there. Now, I forgot that my running shoes, the heels had lost their padding. And I foolishly decided to jog a good chunk of the first one. And so by the time I started going around through the second lap, I had giant blisters on my feet. And I was hurting. And I was walking very slow. And we got to this one part of the race where the sidewalk on the side was rather big. And I just thought, you know what? I'm in pain. I'm hurting. I'm just going to cut through the sidewalk real fast. So I cut through the sidewalk, got ahead of some runners. And in my, in my head, I thought, that's not the race. You, you 
you're going to be a few feet short of the race that you were supposed to run. So I walked back. (laughs) And I got back on the street. And I walked the race that was marked out for me. See, because what I realized is that the race that I was wanting to run out of comfort or out of convenience or out of fear that I wasn't going to be able to make it was not the race marked out for me. It was a race marked out for something else that I was not committed to be in that moment. And it was easier, but that was not the race marked out for me. It was more convenient, but that was not the race marked out for me. It was certainly going to be much more fun and probably cost me a lot less, but that was not the race marked out for me. And I refused to run a race that was not marked out for me. See, because there is a temptation to run a cheaper version of the race that was marked out for me. And in our lives, there is a constant temptation to run a cheaper version of the race marked out for you. There is a calling to run a cheaper race marked out for you, to give in, to run aimlessly, to fight battles that were never yours to fight, to rely on reason over faith, to look at the numbers and say, well, this is why I can or can't do this, to look at your bank account and say, this is why I can or can't do this, to look at what's going on in your history and say, this is why I can or can't do this. And see, the worst of all is to sit back and just to not run at all and to allow apathy to take over in the midst of this. This is why we as a community are doing these monthly kingdom intentions because I refuse to lead a community that does not invest our moments into beauty and hope and freedom in the world around us. And let me just tell you in closing, here's why this matters. It's not because if you follow this, you'll live a healthy, wealthy, happy life. I can't promise that. I actually can't promise any of that. And nor does Jesus. But because like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Sarah and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and David, your race is not about you. The race marked out for you has actually very little to do with you. It has very little to do with your own personal fulfillment and you feeling some sort of way or you getting some kudos for this. Your race is not about you. Your race is about you declaring to the world that we are connected to a God who has come for us. And that in that, we have everything we need to elevate what it means to be human. And that as we connect to Jesus and we follow his voice, our lives become the loudest demonstration of a God who has come for us. See, if God wanted to show up in a, in a cloud of smoke or in lightning or fire or in the sky, he could have. But you know how he sh- chose to show up? In your life and my life as we risk. And as we move and as we act and as we risk together, we display to the world who God is and the beauty that is available to us here and now. And that even though you may not be able to see the end, we can say with certainty it ends good. And your life, lived by faith, connected to the voice of God, becomes the greatest influence humanity has ever seen. As I was finishing up this talk 
yesterday. I was struggling. I, I had so much on my mind and the kids were running around and it was, a, it was a busy day. And I looked over at the bookshelf and this book caught my eye. This book was written by my great-great-grandfather in 1930. And he was a prolific writer. He wrote over 235 books. And this was one of his crowning achievements. He wrote a devotional with a thought every single day. He also wrote a hymn and a poem every single day. And I love that every now and then I get to be discipled by my great-great-grandfather who was no longer with us, clearly. But I pulled open the date to say, I would love to gain some faith from my great-great-grandfather today. And I'd love to read for you what he wrote in 1930 to me. It's from Job 14, 14, and it says, All the days of my appointed time I will wait till my change come. And this is the poem he wrote. I trust in thee. I said it to the Lord one day, when every prop was gone and every human stay, the shadows deep were falling. My life was dark, appalling. It was then I said, and the glimmering moon seemed quietly to whisper, God will answer soon. God has thee in his keeping. He'll change thy fears and weeping. The word proved true, my shadows lifted and were gone. He changed my sights to singing and gave crystal bells ringing along. And he writes, every prop had indeed gone out from under Job, who had lost everything. He was left only with his faith in God as an anchor to his soul. The words of Job grip us. He said them and he meant it. He was willing to wait until his change come, for he knew that God would hear his prayer and would become his salvation. His change might not come until after death, but it would surely come. Anyone can trust with their skies blue and no clouds in sight. Glory hues are no challenge to faith. We delight in seeing the women en route to the tomb of Christ. They went early in the morning before the day had dawned. True faith wait not for full orb light. It travels in mists, in shadows. Whatever was Job's law on earth, whatever of pain and seemingly desertion he experienced, he knew that he in his flesh should yet see God. He knew that in the latter days he would stand upon the earth. We need to live with Job's vision of faith gripping us. He did not despair because he looked beyond the veil of tears and sighs. And then he ends with this short hymn. Oh, what joy there are awaiting over there. Oh, what riches of his grace we then shall share. With what beauty we shall shine, with what glory all divine, when his image and his likeness we shall bear. See, I love that yesterday I got to pick up the faith of my great-great-grandfather and he got to speak into my life and say, hey, it's going to be okay. That whatever you're going through right now, it's just a blip on the radar. But the story ends with beauty because of who Jesus is for us. And he, he lived a life filled with faith that echoes into me today. So 
My question to you is, 50, 100 years from now, whose lives will be impacted because you chose not to give in to fear? Because you chose not to give in to the scarcity or the hopelessness? Because you chose not to live a small, insignificant life? Because you chose not to give in to the inconvenience of the circumstances that surrounded you, but you chose to throw it all off? You chose to throw all of it off so that you could live by faith and so that you could risk and that you could move and that you could see humanity elevated because of that. Some of you may not have kids in here. You may not be parents. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the communities around you that are looking at you because your race is not about you. Will you become the influencer that you were made to be for the world? Will you cast it off and run the race marked out for you. Would you bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes. I want you right now, just in this moment, to think about what is the race in front of you? What is the race that is marked out for you that you are called to run? What is the future that God is calling into you? And it may seem scary, and it may seem hopeless, and it may seem like a risk, and it may seem pointless. Maybe you are staring things in the face that seem bigger than you. And maybe you're even looking at the future going, I don't even know how this is going to turn out. But if you would take a moment right now and just connect to the voice of God, and if you in this moment would allow him to speak into that space, allow him to speak into that, allow him to speak over you, to remind you of the race that you're running, that it's not just for you, that it's for every single person around you, that your life would become the greatest demonstration of who Jesus is that he is faithful, that the story ends in beauty and hope. And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus in a relationship with him, this is your first step. Because here's the thing, this is not just a let's grit it out and let's go risk. This is starts with hearing the voice of God and connecting in relationship with him, knowing that he has come for you and that he has died for you and that he has come back to life. So this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus, that's your first step. He's calling to you. He's saying, look, there's a mark that you were designed to make. There's a future that you were designed to step into and it only comes through him. Maybe you had been connected to him a long time ago and you found your way here and you're wondering, man, where is he? Today, Jesus wants to make himself known to you. So if that's you here today and you want to connect to Jesus, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to connect to Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. If you're online, you can just type Jesus in the chat. There's several of you in this room. Look, I want you just to pray this prayer with me. It's not magic words. It's just you connecting to God. I want you to say, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am broken and that you came and you died for me and you came back to life so that I could live. Come and fill me as I make you Lord. I give you everything and I choose to live the life that you have called me to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. 
You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.